I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 2 on today, Philippians chapter 2. I want to focus in right around verse 12, Philippians chapter 2, and I want to focus in on verse number 12, just so you know, and that you have your Bibles in your hands. Um, why don't we just go ahead and do the Bible creed? I want to make sure that you all do not lose the idea of knowing what our Bible creed is. So come on, if you got your Bibles, I want you to lift it up high unto the Lord as though you're not ashamed. All right, lift it high as though you're not ashamed. Come on, all together. This is my Bible, God's holy word. It's the lamp unto my feet, light unto my pathway. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. When I open my Bible, God opens his mouth. When I close my Bible, God closes his mouth. When I live in it and abide by it, I shall live life at its best. Pastor, we are ready for the word. One more time, Pastor, we are ready for the word. Preach the word. I've been dealing with this series entitled um, Double Life. Double Life, dealing with this series entitled Double Life. Double Life. And in my first installment, we in fact talked about unfiltered things you show. Today I want to deal with unfruitful what you produce. What you produce. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 if you don't mind. Philippians 2, start at verse 12. Here's what it says you all, verse number 12. Dear friends, I'm reading by the way from the New Living Translation. It says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Wow. And that my work was not useless. Unfruitful what you produce. A double life. Now, before you put on your self-righteous hat, allow me to locate you in the outset of our sermon series on a double life. Before you tune me out, believing that I'm preaching to them and not you, let me give you my premise. Uh, having, having and living a double life 
is not as abnormal or uncommon as you might think. You, you see, most of us, if not all of us, have a public life and a private life, and they are as different as night is from day. Very few of us, very few of us are the same in both our public and our private lives. Having and living a double life is not as abnormal or as uncommon as you think. It's probably more common than you realize. Okay, you, you're not liking this. Let me show you what I mean. Let me show you what I mean, y'all. Um, we, we, we are different with our parents than we are with our peers. Yeah. I'll wait on you. Yeah. We, we, we're different with our children than we are with our colleagues. Right. We, we're different with the boss than we are with our coworkers. We're different with our spouses than we are with our crew. We're different with our pastor than we are with our parishioner. We're different with our spouses than we are with other couples. And there are those of you who want me to believe that living a double life doesn't apply to you. It's no secret that people are different when they are around certain people. Therefore, all of us, wait for it, are potential candidates for living a double life. So somebody listening to me right now, someone listening to me right now has a private life that's far different from your public life. A public life that's far different from your social life. A social life that's different from your church life. A church life that's different from your family life. And a stated life that's different from your sex life. May, may I suggest, may I suggest that living a double life is a stressful, unpaid job. I, I, I'm going to say that again for you. I want you to get this, y'all. I'm suggesting that, y'all, living a double life is a stressful, unpaid job. Living a double life is stressful. It's frustrating and exhausting with sometimes devastating outcomes. Living a double life is unfruitful. It's unfruitful and it's non-productive. Living life as two different people is not God's will. I, I want you all to get this. I said living life as two different people is not God's will for your life. Hear me today, you all. The results of living a double life is always unfruitfulness. At best, living a double life leads to lies, secrets, shame, rejection, guilt, deceit, pain, destruction, fear, abandonment, and ultimately, death. Because living a double life is unfruitful. Let, let me clarify, y'all, or at least give some context to living a double life. L living a double life happens 
when you justify two different kinds of behavior in your mind. The Bible calls the thought process behind living a double life as being double-minded. James, James chapter 1, verse 8. Y'all, New Living, it says it like this. says, a double-minded person, I wish I had some Bible readers, is unstable in everything that they do. James chapter 4, verse number 8, New Living says this, you all. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Y'all, I want you all to know Jesus despised the thought of double lives, which is why he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Preach, pastor, I'm doing the best I can. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will devote to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and man. Your loyalty is not designed to be divided. So, pastor, how do we get out of this self-imposed prison of a double life that is unfruitful and stressful as hell? How do I do that, pastor? How do I get out of it? Because I understand the longer I lead a double life, the more serious the consequences can become and my life will ultimately come crashing down. Pastor, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this, Pastor? Let's examine the word of Paul, if you don't mind. Paul writes, he writes to the church in a city called Philippi. And in his letter, he addresses y'all the answer to our question about what it will take to get out of this self-imposed prison of a double life. It's here, y'all, it's here, it's here that Paul talks about the fruit and the root of obedience. God, come on, I want y'all to get this. It's right here that Paul talks about the fruit and the root of obedience. Notice he says in our text in verse 12, watch what he says, dear friends, you always follow my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important that you follow. Paul understood, Paul understood that obedience in some cases happened only because a reality that he in fact was present in that moment. That's why it happened, because he was there in that moment. But he was hopeful that the moment he left, that their obedience would continue. So Paul's asking the church of Philippi not to live a double life. Don't do something when I'm present and then do something different when I'm absent. Y'all, it's here in our text that Paul talks about the fruit and the root of obedience. Paul is referencing here the evidence of God saying, uh, say, uh, the evidence of God saving work rather in our lives. It's here that he's referencing the evidence of God saving work in our lives. If God has saved you, then there should be evidence, there should be fruit 
that he has done so. Preach, Pastor. I said, if God saved you, there ought to be some evidence that you're, in fact, that you are, in fact, saved. Y'all, in the B clause, in the B clause of verse 12, watch this, you all. In the B clause of verse 12, in the B clause of verse 12, I want you to get this. Watch this, y'all. In the B clause of verse 12, he tells us, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Hmm. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. In other words, people should actually be able to see that you have given your life to Jesus because of the fruit you are producing as a result of it. Work hard, wait, look at it, to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. In other words, y'all, the evidence of your salvation is seen in your obedience to God. The fruit of your life is the evidence. It's the proof that you are loyal to God. People ought to be able to see how you live. They ought, they ought, they ought to be able to see the results of your life, the outcome of your life, and say, it's obvious that you live the way you live because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, now listen, now, you, you, you can say you are a follower of Christ. You, 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 you can assume someone is a follower of Christ, but it's the evidence of our obedience that's seen as fruit in our lives that indicates who we are loyal to. Listen, y'all, listen, listen. Get this, please. Everybody produces fruit with their life. Hold it right there. I'm going to say it again. I said everybody produces fruit in their life. Every one of us bears some kind of fruit with our life. The question, however, is, is the fruit of your life good fruit or is it bad fruit? Watch this, y'all. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. Watch what he says, starting around verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, he starts around verse number 15. He says, beware. Watch what it says, of false prophets. Come on, you Bible readers. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Verse 16, you can identify them by their fruit. Wait, wait for it. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Watch, he then says, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by the fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. The fruit of your life is the evidence of your obedience to God. I can say one thing with my mouth, 
but then do another thing with my actions. But the truth of the matter is, your mouth ought to line up with your life. Y'all, y'all, let me, let me help you. If our display, if our display doesn't align with our obedience, it becomes hypocritical at best. Hey, pastor, hey, pastor, what, what does good fruit look like? What does it look like? If, if my goal is to produce good fruit in my life, if I want the outcome of my life to be good, then tell me, pastor, what does good fruit look like? What does it look like? Paul tells us that good fruit typically shows up in two places. Come on. It shows up in two places. Go ahead. Right. Two places. It shows up in two places. Let me give it to you. First, it shows up in our attitude. I want you to go ahead and put attitude, y'all. It shows up in your attitude. Put it in the chat box, attitude. And then when you type it, type it with attitude. Y'all, attitude. It shows up with our attitude. Watch verse 14. Pastor, where you get it from? Look at verse 14. He says, do everything, wait for it, without complaining and arguing. (laughs) God. Watch this. Notice it said, "Not not some things. It didn't say most things. It didn't say a few things, but it said everything. Oh, God. He said, I I need you to do everything. Do everything. Y'all, everything. Y'all, complaining and arguing are the negative attitudes that cast a dark shadow over our lives. Y'all, it's our attitude, Bishop, not our circumstances. That's the dark shadow that's being cast over our lives. It's our attitude that's interpreting everything that's happening to us. It's our attitude that gives people the very first impression of the fruit of your life. Yeah, let me, bam, here it is. Your attitude is the first thing that people taste. In fact, your attitude shows up even before you do. Your attitude, wait for it, can change an atmosphere even before you open your mouth. Sometimes for the good or even sometimes for the bad. Okay, watch this, watch this. Deacon Chris, John Maxwell, John Maxwell in his book entitled Attitude, What Every Leader Needs to Know. Here's what he says, y'all. He says, attitude is the advanced man of our true selves. Its roots are inward, but its fruit is outward. It's our best friend or our worst enemy. It is more honest and more consistent than our words. It is an outward look based on past experiences. It is a thing which draws people to us or repels them. It's never content until it is expressed. It is the librarian of our past. It is the speaker of our present. It is the prophet of our future. God have mercy. Y'all, y'all, John Maxwell, John Maxwell, he compares a person with a positive attitude to a bumblebee. The bumblebee should not be able to fly because of the size, the weight, and the shape of its body in relationship to its wing spread, making flying aerodynamically impossible. 
But the bumblebee, being ignorant of scientific theory, flies anyway and makes honey every day. Because you know why? Because attitude is a pretty significant thing. Are you all hearing me? It's important, y'all, for you to note. It's important for you to note that Paul writes this while sitting in prison. He, he, y'all, he has a right to say this. He's writing this while sitting in prison. If anyone has anything to complain about, it would be Paul. And yet he pins these words. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Wait for this. Wait for it. Here it comes. Why, Paul? Verse 15. Here it is. So that no one can criticize you. Yo, that's the Bible. It's right there in the verse. So that no one can criticize you. In other words, y'all, Paul understood that our attitudes are like amplifiers. When our attitudes respond to our circumstances with complaining and arguing, we are amplifying a poor testimony for the kingdom. We're speaking loudly a message about the gospel that makes others look at us and ask, and they are followers of Christ? Is this how your faith would want you to ask? If so, I'm going to pass on you and your God. I mean, y'all, when we live a double life, our double life, doesn't, it ought to give evidence. Y'all hear me? Our double life does not give evidence towards us being followers of Christ. When we obey the Lord, Paul says there are certain outcomes, certain fruit that should come and show up in your attitude. Okay, secondly, y'all, the, the fruit of, of obedience ought to show up in your actions. Uh, our actions, y'all, includes everything, everything from words that we speak to the way we behave. All right? It shows up in attitude, but then secondly, it shows up in action. Okay, look at verse 15. Verse 15. Watch verse 15. Come on. Keep your Bibles open. Here's what it says. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Y'all, it's interesting that Paul writes something similar to Timothy. Y'all, he, he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Just write it down for me. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He tells him, y'all, to be an example in five areas. Here it is. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. For us, Paul is telling us to set an example that's not double-minded in our behavior, but one that represents God completely. Paul is challenging our speech, what we say, our life, the way we live. Our love, the way we interact with others. Our faith, how we interact with God. Our purity, our morals, and our behavior, how we align with God's holiness. Y'all, he's telling us to set an example in these areas. When, when, when you set an example in these areas, people will see that you truly are a follower of Jesus that doesn't just say it, but you live it. 
It's who you are. It's who you are. Yes, it's who you are. It's who you are. Y'all, I, I, please, 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 please. I need, you, I need you to get the picture. Please get this picture. Everybody bears fruit, whether it's good or bad. Are you with me? Y'all, everybody bears fruit, whether it's good or bad. I don't care who you are. Every one of us bears fruit. And I need you to get this and know that when you bear this fruit, y'all, because you bear it, whether it's good or bad, it is important for you to know that yes, you can make it right. When Paul talks about our actions, he tells us we ought to do this so that we shine like bright lights. Ooh, God. Y'all, he says, Paul, he tells you, you ought, you ought to do this. You ought to do this. Our attitudes and our actions give testimony to whether or not we're followers of Christ. Hear me, y'all. Hear me. Do yourself a favor. Don't say that you are his follower if you have no intent on following through with what he tells you to do. If you are going to announce that you are a follower of Christ, then let your fruit be obedience. Yo, this is no way, this is, this is in no way saying that you are perfect, but, in, it, but it is an opportunity for you to walk in humility and repentance so that people can see that there's something different about you. Are you hearing me? Something different about you. Everybody bears fruit with their life. And the greatest indicator of the fruit of our life is seen in our attitude and in our actions. Hey, so pastor, 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 oh, yeah, pastor, how do I do this? How do I make my life fruitful for God? I, I want to I have a, a great attitude. I want to behave in a way that's God-honoring. I want my attitude and actions to line up to what God wants. But pastor, you got to tell me how. Pastor, what's the recipe? What's the secret sauce, pastor? How do I do this? Y'all, here's where we get in trouble. I want you to just know, here's where I get into some trouble. Let me help y'all. Listen, listen. Y'all, we spend so much time focusing on the fruit of obedience that we eventually evolves into, into nothing more than behavior modification. Hear me, y'all. See, so, um, and whenever that happens, suddenly we become more legalistic than authentic in our Christianity. See, y'all, behavior, listen to me, should not be our focus. I'm going to get in trouble here, but I'm going to help you. Behavior ought not be our focus. Behavior should be the byproduct. Mm, God, y'all ain't helping me. Put it in the chat box, byproduct. I said, y'all, behavior should be the byproduct. In other words, the fruit is the byproduct of the root. Mm, y'all missed it. I'll do it again for you. I said, y'all, y'all, the fruit is the byproduct of the root. The focus shouldn't be the fruit. We think, y'all, the focus should be the fruit because it's what everybody sees. But, y'all, I need you to know it shouldn't be the focus. It ought not be the focus. No, I'm not saying that the fruit is not important. 
and it doesn't demand our attention. But what I am saying is it's not and y'all it shouldn't be our number one focus. Oh God, it ought not be our number one focus. It ought not be our number one focus. No, 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 it ought not be. So, so the root is your, your root is your number one focus. It's your number one focus. If your focus, if you focus, if you focus on the root, you'll eventually produce the right fruit. Okay, Stop. hold on, y'all. Y'all messing with me today. I'll, I'll do it again for you. I, if you focus on the root, you will eventually produce the right fruit. I hear you. Hey, Pastor, what's the root then? Glad you ask. Like this crowd because y'all know how to ask the right questions. Here it is the root is the activity of God's Spirit. Number one, come on, put it in, put it in, put it on your notes. I said the root is the activity of God's spirit. Pastor, are you sure? Look at verse 13. Watch verse 13. Here's what it says, Cookie. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Listen, when we welcome the Holy Spirit's work in our life, the Holy Spirit not only gives us the desire to please God, but he also gives us the power to get it done. <laughs> I don't have to do this in my own strength or in my own ability. I have someone who comes alongside of me and helps me. See, y'all, here it is, y'all. See, many of us, Jamal, are so frustrated because, y'all, we want to please God. You want to do the right thing, but it's a battle in your own strength. I want you to know your strength is not enough. That's why, Bishop, we're having a hard time because you're trying to do it in your own strength, and your strength is not enough. You need the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Hey, Pastor, Pastor, wait, I, I hear you, I hear you. How, how do I get the Holy Ghost, Pastor? I hear you. How do I get the Holy Spirit, Pastor? Y'all, how do I get it activated in my life? Let me help you with this. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, contrary to what my other friends say, the Holy Spirit already lives inside of you. I wish I had some Bible readers here, y'all. Y'all, let me help y'all. He dwells in the believer. The question is not if he's inside of you. No. The question is how open are you to the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit? I wasn't going to preach this hard, but y'all making me preach hard. I feel like giving it all to you. Yo, you got to know you need the Holy Spirit. And the question is how open are you to the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit? If you are open to the Holy Spirit's leading, God will give you power, love, and a sound mind. He'll give you self-control. He'll give you more than you can think, ask, or imagine in your own power. If you invite him in, he will empower you to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. This is what the activity of God's Spirit does when it's at work in your life. Holy Spirit, work on me, work in me. 
Oh, man. Listen, y'all, listen. Let me, let me show you the second route. I got one more route for you. And I'm, I'm through. Thank y'all for letting me come. Just let me show you the second route. The first, the first route is the activity of God's Spirit. That's the Holy Ghost. But then here's the second route, y'all. The second route is the anchor of God's Word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I'm right, Pastor Nelson. Watch verse 16, y'all. Watch verse 16. Here's what it says. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Listen, y'all. God's word is an anchor for your life. Hold it, y'all, right there. Listen, I said his word is an anchor. I dare you to go ahead, declare it. Put it in the chat. Say it out of your own mouth. His word is an anchor. I want you to get this, y'all. It's more than a book of commands. Paul tells us the word is life. The word is the very thing that can protect you provide for you. It can prosper you. The word can give you the strength that you need to live life according to God's desire. The power of God's word is transformational. Okay, here's how I close, Deacon Chris. Here's how I close. I want to close showing you all something in Matthew chapter 7. I want you all to look at this. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to do it from the Message Bible. I want you all to see this. It's amazing to me. Here it is, y'all. Message Bible. Here's what it says. It says, um, by the way, this is Jesus talking. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvement to your standard of living. They are foundational words Words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down. The river flooded. A tornado came, hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed. It was fixed, y'all. It was fixed to the foundation. It was fixed to the rock. It was fixed. It was fixed. Y'all, but if you, if you, but watch it, y'all. It's what it says. But if you, but if you, but if you, listen, use my words in Bible study. But if you use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. And when a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Wow. I want y'all get this is amazing. Y'all, God's called us to leave the double life. He's called us to leave the double life. Let me challenge you before I hang up today. If you want to bear the fruit of obedience, you have to focus on the root and not the fruit. You have to welcome the activity of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into your life every day. And you have to attach your life to the anchor of His Word. And when you do, you'll start to bear good fruit that others will see as a shining light and they will not be able to criticize because they will see the transformation that has come forth in your life. Listen, I don't want you living a double life any longer.
I want you to change your attitude. I want you to change your actions. I want you to stop focusing on the fruit and I want you to focus on the root. I need you, I need you to know that you need to have the activity of God's spirit in your life to help you do what pleases God. And then you need the anchor of his word. That, my brothers and sisters, I promise you, is going to make all the difference in the world. And folk will see your light and determine that you're different.